Once again to Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and I will be your host this week. Well, it's hard to believe. It seems like only six weeks ago there was no Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast, but look at us now. First off, I'd like to thank the amateur radio operators of Sherman, Texas, uh, for allowing me to stay in their fair city for... A few days last week. It's mighty pretty country up there, and uh, I really appreciate uh, everybody I got to speak with up there. Let me go ahead and uh, say hello out there to David, Craig, and my personal hero, Bill Latham, AK5K. Uh, good to have you guys around. Sure do appreciate y'all. Alrighty, we got a few things to start off with here. Uh, the this year's Ham Expo down in Belton, Texas, will be at the Ham Ham. Uh, well, doggone it! Be at the Bell County Expo Center uh, on April 14th. Uh, that's coming up real quick. Uh, the Temple Amateur Radio Club has uh, has Ham Swap Fest down there uh, every year. I think they have it twice a year, even. Uh, for more information on, on that, you might want to go to www.tarc.org slash hamexpo, all one word. Alrighty, number two, we are still looking for a logo. We're, we're getting a couple submissions in, but I know there's folks out there that got some super duper talent on these graphics programs, and we sure could use it. Uh, something with resonant frequency, the amateur radio podcast is somewhere in it, and amateur radio related. You send those logos to KB5 Juliet Bravo Victor at gmail.com. That's Kilo Bravo 5 Juliet Bravo Victor at gmail.com. Next item, we now have Frapper Map. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Frapper Map, it's a map that you can stick pins in that's tied into Google and kind of gives a general location of where you are. It doesn't ask for an exact location, uh, just the city that you're in. So I'd appreciate it if everybody listening to this podcast would go on over and stick a pin in a map so I can see uh, who's listening and uh, what direction we can be uh, saying hello to folks and uh, just generally, everybody getting an idea of who's listening to Resonant Frequency. Uh, next, and very importantly, I know that I've uh, everybody I've had on here as a guest over the last few episodes has had a five call or, or something to that effect. I want you all to know that this is not a state or regional podcast. It is not just for Texas. It is for anybody that wants to download and listen to it. Therefore... It's important that y'all let me know where y'all are, and if y'all know anybody that has 
knowledge and experience in particular areas of amateur radio and might make a good guest for Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, that y'all let me know. You can send me an email at the email address, which is kb5jbv at gmail.com. You can leave a comment over at the Resonant Frequency page, which is kb5jbv.blogspot.com. Uh, which is the same place that the programs come from that y'all are downloading in uh, iTunes or Juice or one of the others. You know, let us know. If you don't know somebody that can help us with a program, at least throw us a suggestion on programs y'all would like to hear. I know there's a lot of new generals out there and a lot of guys that are rapidly approaching extra class and... It doesn't hurt to let somebody know what kind of information you need, uh, especially through the podcast, because nobody will ever know it was you. Okay, uh, let's see, we've done Gas Frapper Map, uh, Hamfest Sherman. Um, I'm sure I'll think of a whole lot more while y'all are listening to Roy. So, why don't we get on to that, and uh, I'll be back in a few. This week, we have as a guest on our podcast, Roy, 85KZ, former ARRL section manager for the North Texas section, and repeater guru. Roy and I will be talking about the ins and outs of repeaters. Hello, Roy, and uh, welcome to Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast. Hi, Richard. Great to be here. I uh, hope I can be uh, some help uh, to some new folks out there that want to learn more about repeaters today. Well, you know, you and I have been playing tag back and forth. I'm just glad to get you on the phone long enough to to actually actually run through some things with you. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that know a lot more about repeaters than I do. Uh, I have built a couple and been using them for a long time and uh, have been enjoying uh, adding additional uh, functions to repeaters and linking them up to the Internet. So that's that's been kind of my forte over the past couple of years. Well, I guess the the burning question in everybody's mind would be, uh, what is a repeater, Roy? Well, a repeater, as the word might suggest, is a system that actually repeats uh, a radio signal. And, you know, why would you want to do that? Well, certain radio frequencies uh, have certain limitations because of surroundings and, and atmospheric conditions and just the the natural physics involved with the way that radio waves propagate. And one of the ways we can extend the range of some of our amateur radios is to use repeaters. And these repeater stations are essentially radios that are under automatic control. And uh, the automatic control comes from something called a repeater controller that we can talk about in more detail. But essentially, you transmit on one frequency, and the repeater has a receive radio that receives on that frequency and then simultaneously retransmit that received audio on a secondary transmit frequency. So your repeaters are usually involved with uh, a repeater pair. So you have uh, uh, two different frequencies and your radios are designed to transmit on one frequency and then listen on another. And the repeater actually 
transmits on the opposite frequency and listens on the, on the opposite frequency from your mobile or handy talkie radio, and it's able to receive your transmission and then retransmit that. And that sounds really good, but well, you know, why would that have any advantage over just two people with a mobile radio or a handy talkie? And the thing that makes that system work well is the, uh, the key to the repeater system, which is the repeater site. And those are typically uh, on high locations in a city. You might find them on the, the tallest building or in other areas you may find them on mountains. So they have a much uh, broader range, uh, line of sight for receiving and transmitting these radio signals. So they become very beneficial for extending the range of, uh, let's say, a, a handy talkie that might have a two to five mile range to being able to transmit you know, 20 or 100 miles. And in addition, because of this uh, repeater controller, they typically will have additional features that you can do things like link repeaters together. So you might have a repeater in, let's say, Dallas that has a, a link to a repeater in Fort Worth. So when someone is using the repeater in Dallas, their transmission is being linked over via some mechanism. It could be a, a radio link uh, to a repeater station in Fort Worth. So uh, a person with a little handy talkie that might normally get two to five mile range is now able to talk to someone 30, 40 miles away by using this, these systems of repeaters. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Well, let's uh, let's dig in a little bit for just a moment. You mentioned the controller. What kind of uh, what kind of things can you do with the repeater with the controller and the repeater? Okay, well, you can imagine that uh, if you're receiving a radio frequency on a receive radio, you've got to have some way to to transmit it out the other radio, the transmitter. And of course, uh, you can assume that you're going to be linking the uh, the audio signals, for instance, the audio output of the, the receive radio to the uh, microphone input on the transmit radio, but something's got to be able to tell the, the radio, the transmitter, when to transmit. And that's one of the functions that the rep repeater controller provides. Uh, it can sense when a received signal is present on the, its receive radio, and then it will route that audio to the transmitter and then key up the transmitter. And that's all done with various types of electronic circuits and, and various audio inputs and, and logic circuits and not real, real complicated stuff, but um, a repeater controller implements something called a, a repeater port. And this port has the audio signal lines, the inputs and outputs for the audio, and then we'll have logic lines that uh, will be used to tell the repeater for instance, when a carrier is sensed on the receive radio, and that will essentially tell the controller that, oh, you've got a received signal. So you need to send that over to the transmitter and key that transmitter up. So the repeater controllers uh, these days uh, are getting very sophisticated and will include microprocessors and digital audio recorders and uh, various types of timers and clocks and, and voice synthesizers. So uh, you'll get a lot of different functionality on the more modern repeater controllers. They'll do things like uh, speak voice messages, either pre-recorded digital audio or text-to-speech type messages. And you can have the club repeater, let's say, that uh, is sending out your um, club meeting information every hour. 
um, and also doing critical things like IDing, since that is a radio that's, that is uh, transmitting, has to have a way to send an, an ID. And your repeater sites, or, or your, your repeaters themselves, are typically uh, licensed to what's called a trustee. And that is on record with uh, the FCC. And we'll use that trustee's call sign. could be a, a personal call sign or a club call sign. And uh, that call sign has to transmit at certain intervals every 10 minutes. And it, at the end of the, the last transmission, it's got to follow the same rules as any amateur radio operator IDing. So that logic uh, to ID is actually built into those repeater controllers so uh, they can be legal. There's actually rules and regulations in Part 97 of the FCC rules that, that govern the amateur radio service that specify um, how repeaters can operate and, and uh, how they must ID and, and what, frequency, what frequencies they can operate on, uh, things like that. Uh, so the repeater controller is like the brain of the, of the repeater, you know, providing all the functionality to actually handle the reception and transmission of the audio and IDing and any other special function like I mentioned uh, announcements or what was real popular before cell phones is actually creating a telephone interface and having something called a phone patch. Back uh, in the days before cell phones, I can remember how cool it was to be able to um, make contact with a local repeater and via touchtone digits on your microphone, being able to bring up the auto patch and actually make phone calls. And the way that worked is the one of those repeater ports would be connected to uh, the plain old telephone system, uh, the landline phone system, and you would get a dial tone and be able to uh, control the phone line uh, via your radio through the repeater controller. Now, those were very handy for making emergency calls. Or I know on several occasions I actually have stopped uh, to assist in a, uh, a traffic incident and was able to call for um, emergency personnel. Uh, this is long before cell phones, but you would uh, dial up uh, your, uh, or actually not dial up, but uh, bring up your local repeater with the with the phone patch and be able to dial 911 and talk to a dispatcher and, and expedite uh, whatever is necessary at the particular accident site. So that came in handy a number, a number of times. Plus it was pretty cool. You know, your friends were going, wow, listen to that. You're making a phone call from your car. How are you doing that? was a great way to get people interested in amateur radio. So uh, yeah, lots of functionality in, in the repeater controllers. And, and these days, those controllers are, are used to interface with computers now. Like I mentioned, being able to connect the, uh, the repeater site up to the internet and use voice over IP technology, which uh, it may be a term some folks are familiar with, but it's just a way to send audio over the internet. We have a couple of real popular systems that allow these voice over IP enabled repeater sites to connect to each other over the internet. So like I used the example earlier of uh, two sites being connected via an RF link between Dallas and Fort Worth. Well, these days with computers and specialized software and the internet using the voice over IP technology, you can actually link repeaters all over the world. So now from your handy talkie, connecting to a repeater, you can make contact with folks uh, anywhere that the internet is. And that's one of the most popular modes on one of the repeaters I operate in Dallas, is uh, making contact with people over systems 
called uh, Echolink and IRLP, Echolink um, you know, being a Windows-based program that allows you to connect radios over the Internet, and IRLP using Linux, and IRLP stands for the Internet Radio Linking Project. Uh, both of those systems work really well for adding functionality to local repeaters that may have a range of about 100 miles. Now basically allows you to extend your range anywhere the, the Internet is, and uh, those things have come in very handy for uh, emergency communications. And uh, like a lot of the hurricane nets use those for, for people to actually participate and help with coordinating hurricane radio traffic. Uh, they don't even have to be in the involved area. They can be anywhere in the world and contribute to these nets via these voice over IP enabled repeaters. Well, there you go. It's moved along so fast that uh, I can hardly believe it myself. You were talking about auto patches a while ago. First 10 years I was licensed, I probably had the code to every repeater in Dallas and Fort Worth because I was well known around the area. They just gave them to me. And I think I probably made about four uh, auto patch calls in that in the first 10 years I was licensed and that was it I really didn't use it a whole lot uh, yeah and you know one of the things about the auto patch in those days um, you know, part of the part of the rules you're you know you're not supposed to use amateur radio for something that uh, can be accomplished with uh, a phone call so um, in the case of making an emergency call uh, that was that was acceptable because that was you know emergency traffic so yeah, so I can understand why you wouldn't be using the, the repeaters and the, and the auto patch uh, a whole lot. And I didn't either. I think I only I never used it for any kind of social activities, but really just for emergency communications. Oh yeah, uh, we have to get moving in a second, but uh, I do remember uh, there was a couple of folks that were using using auto patch on one of the local repeaters. The gentleman involved was a pizza delivery driver and the lady involved was his wife and they were passing coded messages over the repeater uh, and using auto patch to call back home and that kind of stuff to keep their pizza delivery business going. <laughs> wow. People are That's in. a definite no no. <laughs> yeah, they they're innovative. Well, okay, let me uh let me get us back on track here. Okay, so you you got a duplexer and a radio and a, a controller and a, and you got all these things put together and you, you figured it out, which is quite a task. If I've got all this stuff, can I just throw a repeater up and and just uh, get it going and have it have it do its thing? Well, you know, technically, yes, you can, um, but you got to realize that. You know, you have to play well in the sandbox. We have a limited sandbox that we as amateur radio operators are allowed to play within frequency-wise. And uh, there is a particular part of the radio spectrum that is allocated to these uh, repeater, repeater systems. So there's a limited set of frequencies that you can utilize in a certain area. So that introduces the concept of a frequency coordinator. And uh, most every area in the U.S. has a frequency coordination body. Uh, we do have one in Texas, and uh, it's divided up into a number of regions. Uh, but before you put up a repeater, you should make contact with the frequency coordination body to coordinate what 
frequencies to use because um, if you were to happen to put up a, a repeater on a frequency pair that was already in use and coordinated by the local frequency coordinator, and your new repeater then caused interference, uh, the, according to the FCC rules, it would be up to you to resolve that interference since you do not have the coordinated repeater. And so you, you risk uh, losing your investment in uh, time and money and repeater hardware and, and like you said, all the equipment it takes to actually make a functioning repeater. Um, yeah, that would be at risk if you were to actually come up on a repeater pair that was in use. So frequency coordination is an important part of the life of someone that is involved in making repeater systems. Yeah, that uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I wouldn't think you'd want to just throw one up anywhere. Or, but here in Texas, aren't there some experimental low-power frequency kind of things where guys can get up on there and they really don't have to fool with the uh, uh, the VHF society? Well, actually, uh, those those frequencies it's it's by gentlemen's agreement that we define these experimental frequencies or production repeater frequencies. And really, uh, you should make contact with the repeater coordination facility or, or the coordinator in, in your area um, in Texas. That's the Texas VHFFM Society. Um, and uh, they, they can inform you of those experimental, experimental channels. And they can actually issue you a, um, a coordination um, to use in those experimental areas. And of course, you're not guaranteed uh, f uh, from receiving or, or generating interference on another user or another repeater site. But, but uh, yes, there are experimental frequencies that you can use to get a repeater up and play around with that um, uh, pretty quickly. And uh, most of the information about those frequencies can be uh, can be gotten from you know, websites for the various frequency coordinators in, in your area. So uh, it, the, the amount of, um, of interaction you may have to have with a, a frequency coordinator uh, could vary depending on where you are and, and, and what that coordination body uh, does and, and how they're involved with those experimental frequencies. So. Um, so the, I guess my answer would be, you know, yes, you can put up a repeater um, without in, involvement with the, the frequency coordinator. Um, just do some homework and, and make sure that you're in the experimental band and, and not going to interfere with a, uh, you know, a, a coordinated production repeater system. Well, that's that's the whole deal. Amateur radio operators have always played friendly, and we need to continue to play friendly, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. A while ago, you said something about a trustee. What what exactly is a trustee, really? Well, a tr you know, you got to realize that a repeater is actually an automated system that operates by itself. It's a standalone uh, radio station that is under automatic control. And based on the FCC rules, uh, you just can't have a you know a, a radio transmitting that's not under under someone's control. And the person who is uh, legally responsible for that repeater station is called the trustee. And uh, that is usually the person that will 
coordinate with the frequency coordination body for the repeater pairs and make sure everything is in order as far as where the thing is located and, and you know, what its range is and it's not going to interfere with repeaters that may be on the same frequency in another city and, and whatnot. So that trustee is responsible for the ongoing operation and maintenance of the repeater site. Um, that may be a repeater that is personally owned by the trustee. Like in my case, I own my repeater. I'm responsible for maintaining the relationship with the, the site owner. Um, the site owners are uh, typically people that own buildings or towers, and you have to get their permission or pay, and or pay them rent uh, for a spot on their tower or building. So I, I maintain the equipment. I, I, I manage those relationships, uh, and I'm the trustee of that repeater. But in the case of a club, you may have a, a bunch of people that are involved with maintaining uh, the, uh, the repeater equipment and securing the repeater site and maintaining the relationship with the site owners. Uh, but someone in that club is going to be designated as the trustee and uh, will be noted on the paperwork that is filed with the frequency coordination body. And in the case of a club call sign, may also be on the paperwork that is filed with the FCC to get that, that license and that call sign associated with that license. So the, the trustee is, is really some, someone who is re mainly responsible for the, for the maintenance and ongoing operation that, of that repeater. And until fairly recently, the repeater trustee was somewhat responsible for the, the content of what was actually being transmitted over the, the frequencies of that repeater. Um, you know, if someone was misusing uh, the repeater and, and maybe using foul language or, or, or whatnot, not really following FCC rules, uh, in the older days, uh, the re repeater trustee was somewhat responsible for that. And to, to a smaller degree, they are still, but uh, the FCC has recently relaxed those rules. So you're you know, if someone were to get on and and uh, abuse the repeater and use file language, let's say, um, the repeater trustee is not really going to lose their license for that. But the repeater trustee should be monitoring what's happening on the repeater, and you know, they may have to take action. They may have to turn it off or or have a talk with someone that's not following the rules, let's say. So uh, it's really the person that, like I said, is. Um, responsible for the ongoing maintenance and operation of the repeater site. Okay. And, uh, yeah, they've uh, they've loosened the rules up on the digital guys also. I, I remember we used to be under the under the same restraints that the repeater operators were. If uh, business communications came across, a, come across one of our bulletin boards or something, uh, we would be responsible for it if we, and we still are. If we see it, we need to kill it. But uh, they're not going to come after us if it should slip through. And the systems we have available to us nowadays are not as not real efficient at catching stuff that's not supposed to be on there. But right. once again, I'm off on a on uh, <laughs> off on information for another podcast talking about digital. And I don't know mm -hmm. who I'm going to talk to about that. Uh, the trustees. The trustee of the repeater, um, a lot of people have heard the term control operator. Are, trustee, are the trustee and the control operator the same thing? Uh, yes and no. 
um, control operators, that is uh, a position that's recognized within the SDC rules. That is someone that typically has the ability to control the repeater. Um, you can imagine the repeaters are under automatic control, so they're operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it's a little difficult for one person to keep track of everything that's happening on the repeater uh, all the time. So a trustee can designate control operators, and typically you want to have a number of them that are responsible folks, and you give them uh, essentially the keys to controlling uh, the repeater site. So if something were to happen, and you know equipment does malfunction, you may have a situation where your transmitter gets stuck in transmit mode, and you really don't want that to happen. You want to you want to be able to recognize that you've got some type of failure, and, and take action by uh, shutting the system down. So control operators are folks that are designated um, by the trustee and have the ability to control the repeater and basically add an extra set of ears to what's going on on that particular repeater to uh, make sure everything's uh, running smoothly. So um, it's, uh, it can be the trustee. The trustee may delegate all of that control operator function to other people. And uh, usually you don't have uh, much trouble finding folks that are willing to help, but typically monitor the system and are at the ready to correct any issue that may come up. Yeah, well, I'm not sure how many control operators you have over on your machine, but I do remember one back when I was first licensed over at uh, over at the Dallas Amateur Radio Club. It'd be three, four o'clock in the morning. We'd be cutting up and carrying on, and if we got too far out of line, he'd he'd pop in there and say, "Boys, y'all need to settle down," and then that would be the end of it. I've heard of more uh, more active ones that uh, if they just didn't like the conversation that was going on, would shut the repeater down. But I guess that's at the discretion of the control operator and why he's why he is the control operator. Yeah, and of course you're dealing with personalities as in anything in, in amateur radio as well. So you may find some control operators are much more diplomatic and and tolerant of newcomers and, and others aren't. <laughs> so it just really depends on who you're dealing with. Well, Roy, uh, I know you run a repeater here locally. Uh, I really don't know a whole lot about it. And the folks listening to the podcast might want to know what kind of what kind of equipment uh, of equipment you have up and running? Okay, well, it's uh, it's an, actually a microwave repeater operates on the frequency pair of one two nine two dot three. That being the uh, the receive frequency of, or actually, it would be the receive frequency of your mobile radio, and um, the uh, equipment is implemented with uh, two Kenwood TM five forty one. So essentially mobile radios that we opened up and and uh, accessed the various signals that we needed, like um, the, the audio in and out and the um, the carrier uh, carrier operated squelch and uh, we had to get the, into the push to talk uh, circuit and once we opened that stuff up, we interfaced that to a repeater controller and um, you know, like I described before, there's a bunch of different brands of repeater controllers, and they all uh, do basically the same thing. Uh, some of them have more functionality than others. Um, and of course, with, with the repeater controller, the other critical component of repeater, you, you mentioned it earlier, is the duplexer. 
And what the duplexer does, it's essentially an RF filter that allows you to use a single antenna for both uh, your transmit and receive function. And uh, the reason you use a filter is because your repeater frequencies are so close to each other that uh, since the repeater is transmitting while the receiver is receiving, if you didn't have this RF filter on it, uh, the RF energy from the transmitter would make your, your re receiver uh, much, more, much less sensitive to the incoming signal, so it would reduce the range that your, that your repeater could receive. So these duplexers are uh, very common. They're, they're really required on any single antenna uh, repeater system uh, to allow the two uh, the one antenna to, to handle the two frequencies, the transmit and receive frequency uh, simultaneously. So uh, I've got that, and then a, basically a ground plane uh, 1.2 gig antenna up on, on top of a, a building near downtown Dallas. So it's got, got quite a range. And um, that's the 23 centimeter band, so, you know, 1200 megahertz. And like I said, it's a 1292.3, uh, 1272.3 being the, uh, the the other half of that frequency pair. And while there's um, there's not a lot of activity, has, historically has not been a lot of activity in that 1.2 uh, gigahertz range, we're starting to see an increase because of the new uh, D-Star radios that are becoming really popular, which is a new digital mode uh, that was released by ICOM. And their main D-Star functionality is implemented in a 1.2 gig radio. So you have got 1.2 gig digital voice and digital voice repeaters, as well as analog voice. And I guess the, the, the digital analog would be a whole other uh, podcast for you, that whole concept of digital audio, and uh, that, that whole area is exploding. But um, the 1.2 gig, and the other reason I put up a 1.2 gig repeater is there weren't any frequency pairs available in the uh, 2 meter or 70 centimeter bands, the uh, 146, 147, and the, the, the 440, uh, 441, 442 range there. So uh, it was a way to, for me to get a repeater up quickly. And uh, we're starting to see more activity, like I said, because of the popularity of the, the 1.2 gig D-Star radios, which do analog and digital voice. All right. Well, uh, the 1.2 gig radios, yeah, I've, uh, I've been looking for one of those uh, single-banded one, and I couldn't afford them when they were common, and now they're not so common. And that new digital radio, yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm attempting to get a hold of somebody for the podcast for that. I just hope it's not way over some of the new guys' heads. Yeah, well, you know, the um, it, it might be uh, new folks in, in, into amateur radio. They're typically technician class licensees, so they're only licensed for above 50 megahertz. So the repeater world is really where they, they start getting their feet wet. And... Um, it's a, it's a good idea to play around with the analog mode first before delving into the digital voice because there are a lot of concepts that are pretty new and folks that have been playing around with repeaters for quite a while uh, are experiencing a learning curve on using these new digital voice capabilities. Uh, and of course the repeaters also have additional functionality. These D-Star repeaters are also internet 
linkable, like I was mentioning the Echolink and IRLP. Now there's a whole nother voice over IP protocol that is proprietary to the to D-Star radios. And uh, you can use those to communicate with other D-Star repeaters uh, around the world. So that's, uh, that's kind of a new area. A lot of folks that have been playing around with repeaters for a long time are pretty excited about it because it's something new to play with. Yeah, I intend on playing with it myself. Uh, I have an ICOM uh, 2200H over here I won in a raffle last year. And as soon as I'm able to get the digital card for it, I'm going to give that a shot and see how it works out. We also have one of the repeater owners over here in Mesquite that's going to put uh, the digital system up on, on VHF on where his repeater's at so that we'll have one over here. I understand they already have one over in Plano, Texas, and those guys are talking to guys out on out in California on it. Yep. Well, Roy, uh, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. We could probably talk all afternoon about, about repeaters and, and linking these things up and everything else. I'm, I'm, May have to get you or Chris to come by and talk with us about IRLP. I can I can speak fairly intelligently about Echolink, but IRLP is still a mystery to me. IRLP is very similar to Echolink, and yeah, I'd be glad to to uh, do another podcast with you in the future. And uh, I guess before we uh, conclude, I'd, I'd just like to to say one thing about. Um, on amateur radio for the new folks that are just now getting licensed and getting into it, uh, only about 22% uh, of amateur radio operators that are licensed actually ever get on the air. And it's, I guess, because of mic fright and maybe not understanding the, the technology. But I'd just like to say don't be afraid of it. Um, get on there. Jump in. You know, Don't worry about doing something wrong. There are there are plenty of people out there to help you along. They're called Elmers. Those are folks that are that can take you under their wing and and show you the ropes. But uh, don't be scared. You know, get past that mic fright and get on the get on the air and get radioactive. Well, there you go. And at some point, I'm hoping to do an Elmer uh, podcast. So y'all y'all keep on listening. But I take it from Roy. You know, he's had that call sign so long that some of the letters have fallen off of it. So. I would tend to believe he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> All right. Well, Roy, thank you once again. And I know we had a little trouble hooking up, but it was sure enough worth the wait. All right, Richard, it was a pleasure. Thanks a lot, and uh, we'll see you down the log. All righty. And y'all hang in there because we're going we're gonna to play that music I'm sure y'all don't like and move on to the next segment. Pretty much rounds up resonant frequency for this week. Kind of fooled y'all with the music there. Uh, thought I'd try something a little different and see uh, what kind of input I got on it. Y'all, uh, y'all leave me leave me an email. Let me know one way or the other whether y'all like the new music, you want the old music back, or you want me to go find something else because you don't like either one. I uh, would like to let y'all know, in uh, for purposes of keeping things straight that all the music played on this podcast can be found over at podsafeaudio.com and we'd like to thank Midlife Crisis and Father Rock for uh, the music heard on the podcast this week. Uh, When I was talking about the Frapper map earlier in the podcast, I forgot to tell y'all where it is. It's kind of hard to go stick a pin in it if you don't know where the map is. 
The map is located at kb5jbv.blogspot.com. And go on over there and stick a pen in there so we know where y'all all are. I'd like to thank uh, y'all for downloading the podcast this week. I'd like to thank the uh, folks that are letting us use the music. I'd like to thank Roy Raby for being our guest this week. And I think Roy will probably be a recurring visitor because he's got his uh, fingers in a lot of a lot of different things. Once again, y'all... Uh, Y'all let me know if y'all know someone who would make a good guest for Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, and we'll do our best to get them on here. Or if you have suggestions for a show, you don't necessarily have to know somebody that can do it. Just drop us a line and let us know at kb5jbv at gmail.com. All right, I think that's pretty much making it a done deal. Looks like we've got another one in the can. Y'all uh, have a safe one out there and 73.